Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what's making news this week. The race to homologate the Gen 3 Supercast continues with comparative testing between the Mustang and the Camaro prototypes to continue this week. There will be two days at Queensland Raceway this week with a focus on the throttle mapping of the Ford engine. The focus will then shift to aero and performance comparisons next week with another day at QR, followed by a runway test at some point this month. As for the team's testing, it appears the revised February 1 shakedown for the Southern teams is unlikely to happen due to delays with the builds. February 7 for full testing remains a soft target, but it could be that it will be the 13th before some cars see the track. The 2023 Supergas field is finally set after a late, silly season twist. Jake Kostecki has split with Tickford Racing after just one year of his multi-year deal, and in his place comes Super 2 champion Declan Fraser. The Bathurst 12-hour news has been coming in thick and fast in recent weeks with a host of overseas and local star drivers locked in as part of the 28-car field. Some of the big names recently announced include Matt Campbell, who will race the Manthe EMA Porsche, David Reynolds, who will team up with Jordan Love and Tony Bates in a Mercedes, and Richie Stanaway, who will drive a 888-run Boost Mobile-backed AMG with Richie Stanaway and Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim. Speaking of Stanaway and Triple Eight, the Kiwi has been confirmed as Shane Van Gisbergen's co-driver for the Supercars Endurance Races. He was always a favourite to be Garth Down's replacement as he assesses a full-time return to motor racing after turning his back on the sport in 2019. We'll hear from Richie later in the show. TCR Australia has a new control tyre supply with Kumo replacing Michelin. The move brings the Aussie series into line with most major TCR series around the globe and, most importantly, the new for 2023 TCR World Tour. The Speed Series has confirmed that its May event, which had been listed as a Victorian TBC on the schedule, will take place at Phillip Island. Both TCR Australia and S5000 are expected to be on the bill. As will GT World Challenge Australia, which has unveiled its six-round sprint calendar for this season. There will be three Speed Series appearances, the Bathurst 6 Hour, Phillip Island and Queensland Raceway, and three supercars appearances, the Perth Super Sprint, the Sydney Super Night and the Adelaide 500. John Bow has announced that the 2023 season will be his final as a full-timer in Touring Car Masters. The popular veteran isn't retiring, though, just stepping back to make room for some other events and categories. Two-time Aussie Trans Am champion Nathan Hearn is heading to the States. He will race full-time in the American Trans Am this series this season. And Will Powell will make his 24 hours of Daytona debut at the end of this month with Sun Energy One Racing. And the IndyCar champion says he hopes it lays the foundation for an appearance at the Bathurst 12-hour in the future. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that has spent the past six weeks firmly denying he was involved in an altercation at the gala, Stefan Bartholomeus. Stefan, how has your off-season been? Thanks for that uh, intro, Andrew. It's nothing like facing a high bouncer on the first ball of the year. Mm. It's uh, a great <laughs> off-season. Good to have the podcast back. 
Look, it's only mid-January, but uh, there's a lot going on and there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, my goodness, it's already mid-January. I know, I know. I was just, you know, running through that news at the top of the show, which is the bit that I hate most about recording this podcast. It just felt like it was never going to end, like it's uh, so early in the year and there is so much going on. And uh, there is definitely some people saying, oh, my God, it's already mid-January, and I think most of them uh, either run or work for – uh, supercars team. So I think we should probably um, get into some of that fairly tasty news that is floating around at the moment. And unsurprisingly, plenty of it is related to Gen 3. Now, the clock continues to tick ahead of the Newcastle 500, yet the delays and the supply issues are just relentless. Um, we're also yet to see the parity saga between Ford and supercars come to an end with critical prototype testing to take place this week. And next, that's probably a pretty... Good place to start. So both the prototypes will be running at Queensland Raceway uh, this week with Ford focusing on nailing down the throttle mapping for its new V8 motor. And this is effectively how the throttle itself electronically talks to the throttle body in the motor. There's been some question marks over whether that has contributed to some of the disputed points in the performance data. So there will be a couple of days with Chaz Mostert, James Courtney and Will Davison at the wheel of the Mustang to assess um, what's going on or, or assess that motor with the help of Joe Hendrickson, who's an engine specialist from Ford Performance in the US. Uh, then early next week, there will be a proper comparison test at QR between the Mustang and the Camaro to assess where things are at in terms of uh, parity. Um, the plan, as it stands, the plan is also for there to be a runway test to tick off the aero at some point between now and the end of the month as well. So because it's currently looking for a venue for that. And then perhaps we'll end up with some homologated, car, homologated cars that we can go racing with uh, in a few weeks, which would be uh, pretty good. Um, Stefan, for all we were told in Adelaide about this kind of being a storm in a teacup, it feels like a pretty decent storm that's uh, still blowing pretty hard in the middle of January. Yeah, well, if you remember, Andrew, only one side of this was saying in Adelaide that it's a storm in a teacup. The other was uh, pretty adamant that it's a, it's a proper storm. So, aggressively, yeah. It was an aggressive weather report at one point as well, I tell you. <laughs> it was. The uh, Ford versus Holden rivalry has been quickly replaced by Ford versus supercars in this case. And, yeah, as you sort of went through there, the crux of it is that um, supercars believes those VCAT numbers last year show the, the arrows equal between the Mustang and the Camaro. But um, there's an issue there where the Mustang is actually slower on track and supercars thinks that's an issue with the engine, the drivability of the Ford engine. So they're, they're doing these extra days to evaluate that engine and see what they can find. And I think the best case scenario here is that it is the engine and it can be easily solved. And, and the worst case is that they have to go back to the runway. But either way, I mean, good on supercars for tackling this head on now because it really does need to be addressed before they go racing. But um, it's it's a tricky one because the only way that Ford really are going to be happy is if they're winning all the races and uh, supercars can't um, yeah, just give them everything they want because then the other side will be unhappy. Yeah, we spoke about that late last year, you know, that it is a trying to get the blessing of the manufacturers is a tricky thing here because you shouldn't actually want that. You know, no one should be happy with where they're at performance-wise. Um, but, yeah, look, it is – there's certainly some scepticism on the forward side that this throttle – issue or this, you know, throttle body or or um, throttle mapping issue is the problem, but at least they've got their couple of days to try and sort it out. If it is now, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how the two cars stack up when they have a proper go um, next Monday QR. Um, I think that, you know, I guess at, at the very least, the one positive is probably drawing 
drawing a pretty long bow. But the, the one the one thing that's not an absolute sort of massive drama is that the homologation issue isn't necessarily contributing to the delays too much because it's about you know where parts are where where you know rear wing mounting areas and what teams can do in terms of, you know, how aggressive they can be either way with the wing um, to do, you know, the front lip. There's not as much front lip and as much front aero. So it's just about the length of the lip and that sort of stuff. It's all stuff that can be sort of tweaked as they go and isn't actually causing too many delays itself right now. But there are still lots and lots of delays and there are still some very, very worried teams out there, particularly teams based south of the Queensland and New South Wales Border. So the January 24 shakedown at Winton has already been moved to February 1. I haven't spoken to a single team that feels that February 1 is even remotely realistic, so I don't think we'll be seeing any running on that day. Some teams reckon the original February 7 day, that was for the first full day of testing, not the shakedown, may be possible, but most are talking about the week starting February 13. Uh, I believe three days have been booked at Winton for teams that week to bash through their program before heading to Sydney Motorsport Park on the 22nd for the all-in test. Stefan, we were talking about how tight things were on the original testing timeline. I mean, this is this is crazy stuff now. Yeah, it's not a great situation at all for anyone involved. And, you know, it's not like the teams are waiting by the post box for one or two big items to come through. It's a whole raft of things that need to be manufactured and there's only so much capacity that these various suppliers have got to pump this stuff out, even for the drawings that are signed off. So the build process on the cars is still stop-start and it does look like those uh, first round of shakedowns are pretty unlikely at this point. But, you know, as much as it's a nightmare for the industry right now I think from a fan point of view it's still building towards Newcastle being uh, pretty amazing I mean no team is going to go there comfortable that they understand what they've got underneath them no no that is definitely the silver lining it's going to be a wild start to the season um I think avoiding a big shunt in Newcastle will be fairly uh, important. I'm not sure the spares banks are going to be quite where teams would like them heading to a street track, particularly a tight one that nobody's raced on for a few years. But, yeah, I think we're in for a pretty wild start to the season. Speaking of wild things, let's move on to that very late twist in the driver silly season. Just when we thought the grid was set, some pretty crazy rumours uh, about a late change that emerged just after Adelaide started to ring true a bit before Christmas. Here, Anyway, here we are a few weeks later. Jake Kostecki is out of Tickford. Declan Fraser is in. Um, Stefan, this is a really tricky one to unpack because, you know, the announcement from Tickford said the contract was mutually terminated. Now, we know that's generally never the case. Um, Jake took to social media to, to express some disappointment, saying things aren't all sunshine and rainbows. Here's what we know. There was an altercation between Jake and Scott Pye at the gala. I think most people that were there know that. We were there, Stefan. Where it gets tricky is how much of that can be attributed to the split. There's been talk of... Jake criticising the team. Obviously, there was some performance issues going on. The results haven't really been there for the 56 entry um, in the second half of the year. What I find weird, Stefan, is that Tickford released this hangover-inspired social media video the very next day featuring Tim Edwards that directly referenced Jake's gala antics. And like not the fight itself, but that he had this exuberant presence at, at the event, which kind of makes the idea that they then turf him out of the team just for that and that alone, pretty hard to reconcile. What are your thoughts on it all? Well, I believe it, it was a combination of that altercation with Scott Pye that you reference 
and the fact that Jake was allegedly bad-mouthing the team to anyone who would listen there at the gala. So that video you mentioned was bizarre considering the circumstances there, but I do think it took a while for the team to become fully aware of what had taken place and, and the various elements of it. So, yeah, I mean, no matter how you rate Jake as a driver, I do think it's sad to see a young guy throw away his big chance in a situation like this. It's just, uh, it's very unfortunate. Um, oh yeah, absolutely, it is. Like it's, it's always a shame, particularly when you're heading to a new generation of car and all these unknowns. Like, what a great opportunity for any driver in the field to think they might actually be in the game for a little while. I guess what what it always comes, you know, you talked about the combination of factors, and it it clearly is a combination of factors because I think that. You know, like a, a boozy night at the gala isn't going to cost you your drive. If the performance is there, there's obviously not going to be issues with criticizing the team if the performance is there. That's what it all eventually stems back to. If you're not getting the results, you know, there's pressure on everybody. It's easy for the blame game to sort of erupt and suddenly you're in a situation where those what you know, are basically fairly minor indiscretions that if you were sticking the thing on pole every second weekend wouldn't actually be an issue, suddenly become an issue and become a reason that you can find yourself out of a drive. Yeah, like no doubt due to those performance factors, there were question marks leading into Adelaide as to whether Jake would uh, be retained for the second season, but he had a contract, and I, I fully believe Tickford were planning on retaining him before this thing happened at the gala. Because when you look at it, like I think Tickford themselves, they acknowledged that they'd not put him in the best situation. He had a first year engineer and two pretty inexperienced mechanics on that car too, and and ahead of Adelaide there in November, like Tickford paid for Jake to go over to do some driver coaching in the UK. And you're not going to do that if you've got a driver that you're about to turf out a couple of weeks later. So yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It, it has uh, unwound for him and a contract is easily terminated when something like this goes on. I mean, teams tend to have behavioral clauses and all sorts of things in these contracts, not just performance. So there's there's no legal issue ongoing. It's, it is a mutual termination in a way because there's, there's really nothing that can be disputed in the end. Yep, that is absolutely how it works. Adding to the strangeness of this entire situation is the decision from Tickford to replace uh, Jake with Declan Fraser. Now, I don't mean that as any criticism of Declan, but for so much of last year, we were talking about this five into four driver situation that Tickford was facing with Zach Best waiting in the wings, you know, and there were times when it felt like James Courtney could come under pressure to keep his seat ahead of Best if if Best really pushed for a promotion and if if Tickford wanted to continue to showcase that its pathway through Super 2 is something that actually works and does yield a promotion to the main game at some point. And then a seat does become available and it ends up going to Fraser, you know, the guy that narrowly beat Zach to the Super 2 title. Um, were you surprised by that, Stefan? I mean, it's very hard to see it as anything but a pretty big snub to Best, whose backers have spent a fair chunk of change at Tickford over the past couple of years. Well, clearly it was a surprise to Zach and he feels quite hard done by and is now looking at his options elsewhere. He's He said that publicly, so there's no guarantee he'll end up doing Tickford co-drive and wildcards that have been talked about at this stage. We've got to see what, uh, what plays out there. But as for why... Tickford chose Declan. I mean, we don't know the full situation funding-wise. That's always mm-hmm. important. And we might get a clearer view of that once we see what backers on the car 
trade is staying, but they don't put in enough to run the car. So we know that Kostecki's contributed a significant part to that budget beforehand. But just looking at it in terms of Fraser versus Best, the feeling at Tickford seems to be that Declan is a more rounded performer at the moment, whereas Zach is very fast, but he's got some rough edges in and out of the car. Do you think that's uh, that's a fair assessment of where those two are at? I think it probably is, and I think you just have to look at the Super 2 finale in Adelaide to kind of see that. That was where Declan really did step up. And, you know, there have been times that, you know, perhaps he's obviously like he, he is very polished in and out of the car. Um, he would be a sponsor's dream, I would imagine. Um, so you can see he's got that part exactly right. Absolute outright pace-wise, you could make a case that Best is right there with him, you know, and maybe even on just absolute speed. It's hard when you don't have all the data and all the insight, but, you know, that the, the Best is very, very quick. But, yeah, I think from all the from all the other stuff, if you're trying to talk about potential and all that sort of stuff, it's very difficult to see, you know, to judge and make that call of who's going to go where and who's going to do what. Um, I think it is a shame for Zach because I think that he does – he is quick enough to deserve a shot at in the main game. Um, I think he'd be a very entertaining personality to have in the main game because he's definitely he's definitely different, and I think he'd be, he could bring a bit of fun to the championship as well. But I, I think from a team perspective, particularly when you are managing uh, a sponsor and that sort of stuff, I, I can certainly see how Declan would be a pretty attractive proposition. And you know, he's the Super Two champion. You know, he might have been driving a Triple A car, but you still got to go out there and and get the job done. And he was up against a pretty good teammate in Cam Hill, and he's the guy with the big trophy at the end of the year. So that doesn't happen by accident. So I think either way, you could you could see merit in if they'd gone either way. But, you know, it's 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 hard not to sit here and say, yeah, Declan absolutely deserves his shot. Yeah, and Declan, as you say, has worked hard off track as well. Like he really impressed Super Cheap Auto um, as being part of that wild card at Bathurst. And unfortunately, Super Cheap can't go with him, even though they were talking about wanting to help him into a full-time drive. But um, Tickford have a relationship there with Autobahn, so I don't think we'll see see that move across. But the AAA people were really uh, talked a lot about Declan's work ethic and his commitment to the whole thing, the fact he paid his way to all the main game rounds to sit in on team meetings and debriefs and so on to really embed himself in the team. So all of that definitely impresses a main game team. But then, I mean, at the same time, Triple Eight didn't exactly go out of its way to lock him in for 2023. It's not like Tickford had the situation and then they had to go and unpick Declan from a contract. He was a free agent. So... Um, yeah, that's that's sort of interesting too that Triple Eight didn't really grab hold of him. That is always fascinating when you're up in those situations. I guess, you know, they've sort of they're full up at the moment. But yeah, it, it is it is always interesting to see how those kind of uh how those scenarios play out and, and, and who on the inside is seeing what and, and what they decide to to kind of do. Well, we're just a couple of weeks away from the Bathurst 12-hour, Stefan, and the announcements are rolling in thick and fast. In the last couple of days, we've had Dave Reynolds and Jordan Love confirmed in a Mercedes with Tony Bates. That's a pretty decent Pro-Am entry there, particularly given how quick Jordan was uh, at Bathurst at the three-hour last November. Um, just today, we learned that Richie Stanaway will make an early start to his relationship with Triple Eight, driving their Pro-Am entry at the 12-hour with Jamie Winkup and Prince Jeffrey Ibrahim. Uh, that car will be backed by uh, Boost Mobile. Stefan, let's 
Let's have a little bit of a chat about what's caught our eye from the announcements uh, so far. I think I think what's sort of caught my eye, and not necessarily in the best way, and I don't want to be overly negative and all that sort of stuff, but you know, we, we've seen some great drivers and teams enter the twelve-hour. You know, there's obviously signs that you know that the, the thing is coming back to life as this big international event. But I still feel like twenty-eight cars is a sign that we're still in that rebuilding phase. Um, and there's really only two classes as well. There's GT3 with all of its subclasses, and then there's Invitational, which has become the rest basically because there wasn't enough Carrera Cup cars for a Class B or GT4 cars for a Class C. Um, there wasn't even – they invented a new subclass for GT3, which was the bronze class, and there was no entries for that in the end as well. So, you know, we've got the big names back. That's awesome. There are some new GT3 cars coming online this year that will be eligible for the 12-hour next year. There's always, the event's always a little bit out of step with homologation and that sort of stuff. So that could mean we see a bit more of a diverse range of hardware on the grid next year. But I just feel like there's a little bit to go in terms of the revival of this event. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, And there are probably a few reasons for it there in the background but yeah the hard facts are that um, there's 28 cars entered this year and the last one we had pre-COVID in Feb 2020 had 39 entries and then like you talk about the the variety in, in manufacturers well there was 11 GD3 manufacturers back then and now there's there's five for this year and and four of them are those German brands so it is really missing you know the, the likes of Aston Martin, Bentley, Ferrari, McLaren, Nissan, Honda, you know, it had such a good mix um, previously and we can only hope that it can get back to, to it a little bit more like that. But for now, we've got what we've got and there should be enough quality in there to make it a pretty good race. And I think if you look at the list, like for me at the moment, the highlight is um, the inclusion of Valentino Rossi, who has obviously moved into GT racing after his career in MotoGP. And it'll be interesting to see what interest that brings both internationally, but also at the track. Are there there's some bike fans that come out? Is, is there a bit of that... Uh, 46 and yellow in the crowd that uh, you see at the MotoGP races and uh, yeah to see what the the support's like tell you what if you own a boat shop in Bathurst I'd be ramping up the price of uh, yellow flares come the 12 hour time are there any boat shops in Bathurst it is I don't reckon we should be encouraging flares at sporting events either but that's uh, that's another story fine fine well while we're roughly on the subject of Richie Stanaway and Triple Eight. Um, we know now, Stefan, that you know uh, he and Shane Van Gisbergen will form the All Kiwi Dream Team at Sandown and Bathurst later this year. Uh, I grabbed Richie for a chat about this Triple Eight deal and what it means for the rejuvenation of his racing career moving forward. Yeah, congratulations on the Triple Eight deal. Like you were considered the hot favourite as soon as the news about Garth leaving the team initially broke how did the deal sort of come about did you speak to Shane did Jamie get in touch what sort of happened uh initially I spoke with Shane about it when Garth was considering taking a TV role rather than driving at all next year yep and then uh obviously it all went quiet when uh he decided not to do that so that was shortly after that first and then um kind of just forgot about it and then obviously um yeah, when Garth went to to Grove, um, kind of took us all by surprise, and then uh, obviously I chased Shane up about about it again because I knew they were interested uh, initially. So yeah, and then it all just it went from there. We, we did it pretty quickly from then on. 
sharing with Shane, given the form that he's been in the past couple of seasons, that must be a pretty exciting prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to uh, have such a high chance of, of winning uh, driving with Shane is, is just an incredible opportunity. And obviously I was fairly disappointed not to pull off a, a full-time gig with the boost car. So if you're not going to be racing full-time, then the next best thing is to co-drive at Triple Eight with Shane. So, yeah, it's uh, just worked out perfectly. And, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to working with the team. Where do things stand with the whole Boost Mobile racing thing? I mean, Peter's obviously been very vocal about his ambitions and, and you've been tied to that and he's been very vocal about the fact that he isn't able to run a car full-time next season. He has left the door open even since the Triple Eight announcement for a solo round wildcard at some point this season. Is that something that's still on your radar perhaps as well? Yeah, we're going to try and do as many wildcards as we can with that car and then – See, see where it goes from there. Obviously, they still want to run a car full-time in, in 2024. So doing the wild cards could be a good launch pad for that. And, yeah, it's just a matter of waiting to see what rounds are available and how it goes from there. How are you expecting to adapt to the to the new Gen 3 car? Do you think there's some scope for the fact that you have this vast experience in a lot of very different cars, that that could help ease the transition into something that's not necessarily a supercar as we've come to know it over the last, you know, however many years, two decades? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a pretty big question mark over the car for myself and a lot of people purely because we don't know what to expect. Um uh, obviously, a few guys have driven it, but yeah, for the most part, especially the co-drivers, it's going to be, uh, I guess, a big unknown for, for all of us. But yeah, I mean, considering, yeah, I guess most of my career has been spent jumping around different cars and never really racing anything for more than a year or two, I guess, I feel quite comfortable jumping in a different car as opposed to maybe some of the guys that just raced the, the Gen 2 supercar for 10 years or whatever. So, yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. I think, yeah, with the generation change of the car and, yeah, it's just gives the whole series and, and all the teams are an interesting puzzle to solve and it's going to be great to be a part of that. When will you get to drive one of these cars for the first time, do you think? Do you plan to sort of take part in some of 888's pre-season testing in the next couple of weeks or we have to wait for a ride day at some point what's the sort of plan yeah i think yeah the the plan is to for me to be at as many days as possible i guess just to, to mitigate the the fact that yeah the, the co-driver is obviously going to be limited with with running with the new car yeah uh so yeah i'm not sure exactly what, what the plan is yet but yeah i'll try to get as, as many laps in it as possible and even if i'm not driving uh, probably just be at as many days as possible and as many rounds as possible just so I can uh, learn about the new car without necessarily driving it. Uh, you and I spoke at Bathurst last year, you know, after that amazing qualifying performance and you, you talked about, you know, how you're seriously open to a full-time return to racing. Obviously, you know, it, it could have happened with the Boost Mobile thing this season. That could still happen next season, but – you know, even if that never becomes a thing, is that still your ambition? And is this Triple Eight drive, this amazing opportunity to showcase, you know, what you can do? Is that a step in that direction to coming back full time? 
yeah, I'm not too sure. I think it's going to be probably more of a more of a question for post Bathurst this year. But yeah, if I'm being honest, having such a good co-drive does make obviously coming back full time a lot more difficult because when you've got, I guess, arguably the best, well, one of the best co-drives in the field, then obviously it, I guess, limits the roles you would be open to accepting yeah. full time. So yeah, I think it's just going to be a matter of seeing what what happen what's on the table uh, come the end of the year. When you walked away from supercars at the end of 2019, you obviously weren't having that much fun in the series. I think you know you, you obviously needed that break. How important has it been for you, and how sort of re-energized do you feel having had that time out? You know that time to sort of think about what's going on, coming back, performing so well at Bathurst, sort of, how are you feeling at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, I guess I took took probably the world's best time to break given the COVID situation. <laughs> uh, obviously, when I pulled the pin at the end of 2019, I had no idea what was going to happen to the world over, over a couple of years. So, yeah, from that perspective, it, it turned out to be, yeah, fairly good time to step away and have a break. And I guess, yeah, now I just have a completely different perspective on life and on racing. Uh, yeah, I was fairly burnt out when I came back from, from Europe and just obviously the, the full time years I had in Oz just didn't obviously go to plan. So I just needed a break. And, um, yeah, obviously I'm feeling completely different now to what I did a few years ago. I mean, this AAA drive will be about as close to a full-time job as you could have without it being a full-time drive. Do you feel that if the right opportunity presented itself in, say, 2024, do you feel that you are in that in that space where you could you could make that step back and you could embrace, you know, this category and 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 being a full-time front runner in it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I sort of feel like I did ten years ago, but you know, when I was doing F3. Uh, just in terms of my approach to life and to racing, like I'm probably fitter now than I even than I probably ever have been. And the last time I would have been close to this level of fitness probably would have been around 2011, 2012, before I had my back injury. So it's sort of taken, yeah, I guess a long time to rebuild to the point where I'm at now. And yeah, I feel like I'm in the right frame of mind to, to take on that role full time again. But, uh, yeah, obviously for the moment, it's just about focusing on this, on this co-drive and whether something comes full time next year or, or if it's just going to be co-driving for a few years, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. And so, you know, part of the triple eight deal is that you'll be at the 12 hour in a triple eight run Mercedes. Um, you've got plenty of experience in GT style cars. That must be a pretty exciting Thing to be facing to be driving one of those cars at that circuit yeah absolutely it's been a few years since i've driven one so looking forward to getting back in one and also having just experienced what i would consider i guess the, the worst case scenario having had three years of no racing and then going straight back to bathurst as a primary driver you know that doesn't really get much i'm probably never going to have to face something as difficult as that so to obviously have now going from primary driving to co-driving and then also having something like the Bathurst 12 hour, I know it's 
you know, it's almost a year away from, from Bathurst, but obviously relative to the mileage I'd, I'd had before the, my drive last year at Bathurst, it's just going to be a huge uh, help for me to, to get some mileage in the car again and just, yeah, seat time really that, that I've been lacking over the years and obviously GT cars are a high performance car and to driving one around Bathurst I think is just going to be really valuable seat time and uh, I'll probably spend more time in the car than, than what I did uh, in the supercar at the 1000 so yeah it's just going to be a great way to kick off the year. Uh, Stefan, some interesting little nuggets in there from Richie, such as confirmation that, you know, as was rumoured, Gartander did think about hanging up his helmet after the Bathurst 1000 last year. Um, it's really nice to hear Richie talking about how he hasn't felt this motivated in a very, very long time as well. Uh, I thought the really interesting point, though, was about how hard it may be to leave that AAA co-drive, um, particularly when he knows firsthand how difficult it can be in this game when you're not in a competitive full-time situation. Yeah, I mean, firstly, on the Garth stuff that he referenced right from the top, that really tallied with what we were hearing before Bathurst, that Garth was considering potentially moving full-time into TV in 2023 instead of co-driving again. And he was quite bullish immediately after Bathurst saying that, you know, some journos had been out there trying to write him off, trying to retire him early, which uh, turns out was a little cheeky considering he was kind of the the source of that in, in some ways. But... Anyway, he's obviously moved on with Grove Racing now and it has created this great opportunity for Richie to go out and potentially win a Bathurst 1000. Like, it's a hell of a combination with Shane and Richie together. And if if Richie's motivated, which he very much sounds like he is, I think he's clearly too good long-term to be a co-driver. But who knows what happens after this year. Like, the, the one scenario in which I think it would be easy to leave a Triple Eight co-drive is if, for whatever reason, a full-time drive at Triple Eight was to become available. Mm, you cracked the code. You've cracked the code, Stefan. All right, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. The 2023 Dakar Rally has been run and won with Nasser Al-Attiyah taking a fifth car's crown ahead of Sebastian Loeb. In the bikes class, Aussie legend Toby Price missed out on a third Dakar win by just 43 seconds after leading into the final stage. He was pipped by KTM teammate Kevin Benavides. Daniel Saunders finished seventh in bikes while Molly Taylor was 12th in the side-by-side class. The Castrol Toyota Formula Regional Oceana Championship, a.k.a. TRS, season kicked off at Highlands on the weekend with Callum Hedge, James Penrose and David Morales sharing the three race wins. Hedge, the pace setter across the weekend, was in the hunt in the final race until suspension damage halted his charge. Jake Dennis kicked off Formula E's Gen 3 era with victory at the Mexico E-Prix. Robin Fryens, meanwhile, has since undergone surgery on his wrist, which was badly broken in a crash. WRT made a perfect start to its relationship with BMW by winning the Dubai 24 hours thanks to Dries Van Tour, Mohamed Al Saud, Jens Klingman, Diego Menchacha, and Jean Baptiste Simonauer. The Grove Racing Porsche, driven by Earl Bamba, Anton Di Pasquale, and Stephen and Brenton Grove, finished fourth. In Formula One, ex Mercedes strategy boss James Vowles has moved to Worms as team principal for the 2023 season, and Andretti Global has teamed up with General Motors for a fresh bid to join Formula One using GM's Cadillac brand. The announcement of the Andretti GM bid followed an announcement from the FIA that it would take expressions of interest for new parties looking to join the booming World Championship. Uh, Stefan, we've seen Andretti's having a crack at this for a while. The reception from other teams has still been lukewarm is the expression many are using, but surely this GM tie-up will go a long way here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see this playing out considering what uh, we've seen here last year with Peter Adderton trying to get that 26 supercars entry. It's kind of a similar thing, but, you know, in that we had Ryan Walkinshaw being one of the most outspoken against uh, Adderton thinking he could join the grid and now Ryan's business partner, Michael Andretti, is playing uh, playing a similar game, but there's obviously a lot more at stake here in this F1 situation. There's hundreds of millions of dollars involved and the key to it seems to be whether an Andretti team will bring enough extra value to F1 that it outweighs the fact it'll share some of the funding pool and take that away from, from the other teams. So that's got to be a pretty hard thing to measure how much extra value it brings. But um, the GM component of that, it's a good card to play. And uh, how involved they'll be is still a little bit of a question, though, whether it is that sort of badge engineering exercise or whether they'll actually be involved as a manufacturer. Yeah, it's an interesting – it sort of poses another interesting wrinkle to the whole sliding doors Oscar Piastri thing, you know. If, if they do end up running rebadged Renault engines and there is like a PU supplier relationship with Alpine there, you know, it's all – I don't know, it doesn't really mean anything, but it, it's kind of funny to see how things could potentially have gone. Yeah, well, GM have sort of bristled at the the notion that they're going to be badge engineering and have actually sort of talked about the fact that they, they will be involved. But if if they're using a Renault power plant, it's hard to imagine Renault being all that comfortable with another manufacturer actually doing any any tinkering inside those motors. Well, I just look forward to seeing Boost Mobile Cadillac racing on the Formula One grid at the start of the 2024 <laughs> season. Okay, Castro mailbag time. Tommy Tucker, that is a great name, Tommy, asks if there's any chance of a supercars team owner's kart race for charity and who our money would be on. Well, I've got no idea if there's any chance of it. I'd say in the short term, no, because I think most team owners um, are probably pretty focused on getting some Gen 3 cars built. But let's pretend this thing was happening. Um, who would the money – I mean, to me, I think it's it's got to be between – Blanche and, and Winker. And, I, you know, Timmy B's he's still doing a lot of Formula Ford racing. Um, I think he'd be pretty sharp. I think uh, I think he could be pretty tough to bet. I don't, does, does Jamie still go out karting with with um, Davo and all those boys? Is that something that still happens? I don't know, actually know, Andrew, but Jamie does still race supercars occasionally. So I reckon anyone who's uh, still racing uh, should be uh, excluded from this event. And if you have to extend, extend it a bit from team owners – I think team principles would, would be fun as well because I want to see if, you know, the likes of Barry Ryan and, and Tim Edwards and those guys are just as uh, combative behind the wheel as they uh, as they are when they're um, watching their charges and commenting in the post-race interviews and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, I think we've got to make this happen. I think this is something that definitely, definitely has to happen. I would, I'd pay money to see it. I'd give money to charity to see this, I think. <laughs> All righty, let's hand out some Castrol Stars of the Week, the first for 2023. And, Stefan, I'm going to kickstart the year by swooping on a pretty easy one and go with my mate Toby Price for his second place on the Dakar. The guy is so good at managing a Dakar rally. He went so close to that third crown. I feel for him for missing out by such a tiny margin as well, but he's just an absolute, an absolute star. So uh, he gets my first Castrol Star of 2023. Who gets your first Castrol Star of the year? 
My cash draft star of the week is Tony Quinn, who raced a GT4 Porsche in New Zealand on the weekend, which was, of course, his comeback to racing after that horrific Carrera Cup crash he had last July. And as you know, Andrew, Tony is such a massive contributor to motorsport and a real character. So it's just great to see him not only healthy again, but able to get out there on track and have some fun. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport News. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here. And yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 W Racing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au.